Britain's Conversation. This is LBC with Eddie Mayer. It's Friday. It's a quarter to five. It's Simon Marks's American Week. Eddie, I was not able to bring you an American Week last Friday. I was up in New York collecting a teenage lad who was lucky enough to spend an entire month outside the United States. But now he's back. Like the rest of us, he's got a lot of catching up to do. And where better to start than with Senator Bernie Sanders and his mailbag? A question from, probably mispronouncing it, Gemma. And she, she writes, uh, I have found it hard to avoid doomerism, doomerism. How do I avoid losing all hope? Uh, and then another question that comes from Patrick, is it ever going to get any better? Should I maintain any will to live? Now, that's a little bit makes me nervous, Patrick. Yes. You should maintain a will to live. He giggles there, but that mailbag of his is not exactly replete with the brash self-confidence that has traditionally been America's hallmark. Senator Sanders, the socialist warhorse from Vermont, goes on to channel his inner agony aunt and dispenses this advice. These are tough times, but it is not appropriate uh, for us to live in despair because... This, all of this is about is not just us. It is about our kids. I have four kids. I have seven grandchildren. And you do too. And we are fighting for not just ourselves, but for the future and, and future generations. Um, so it seems to me that despair is is not an option. Now, the fact that for so many Americans, apparently despair is an option, is driven by the country's economic nosedive and the failure of the White House to persuade people that President Biden has the wherewithal to battle it. Opinion polls now persistently show that only a quarter of the public approves of his handling of inflation and the economy. And that was before last week's data that seemed to suggest the country is now entering a recession. Even though that is not the way the White House reads the numbers. While the Bank of England yesterday was giving you all the bad news about the UK's economy, here the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, is gingerly towing the Biden administration's line. I do not think the US is currently in a recession. Um, and the reason is there are just too many areas of the economy that are, that are performing, uh, you know, too well. Keeping his enthusiasm somewhat in check, he specifically cited jobs numbers that lead some analysts to conclude that America's economy is poised for a much faster rebound than Britain's. But then again, the Biden administration that now waves away claims that the country has already entered a recessionary cycle is the same government that waved away warnings earlier this year that inflation was poised to do a number on the country. They were wrong then. Let's wait and see how their current projections Fair. Amid all the recent doom and gloom, though, Democrats finally had some reason this week to cheer. Quite literally, the reaction there of abortion rights activists in Kansas, the first state in the nation where voters got a chance to weigh in on the US Supreme Court's recent decision to strike down Roe versus Wade and usher in an era in which abortion is now being outlawed in states all over the country. I see you crying right now. Why do you have tears in your eyes? As someone who grew up in Arkansas, I'm not, I'm not used to winning. Uh, and this is my first ever campaign. <laughs> to be staff on, so it's just very 
overwhelming. Um, sorry, I'm getting a little choked up. Activist Ashley All celebrating on NBC after voters in Kansas, a normally reliable Republican state, overwhelmingly opposed a Republican effort to remove abortion protections from the Kansas state constitution. It was a shock result and a stunning rebuke of the Supreme Court. Women voters particularly turning out in droves to indicate that the Republican appointed majority of Supreme Court justices overreached in striking down Roe versus Wade. Democrats now hope the fire lit in Kansas this week will soon spread all over the nation. But amid the glimmers of hope for Democrats, some election results this week conveyed the usual tinge of despair. Do you remember this man? Anywhere, anyone, anytime has said that I said the election was rigged, that would not be true. Regular listeners may recall that Rusty Bowers is the Republican Speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives. He testified in June before the select committee investigating last year's deadly riot by Donald Trump's supporters on Capitol Hill. And when uh, the, pro the former president in a statement today claimed that you told him that he won Arizona, is that also false? That is also false. For that treachery towards Donald Trump, he paid the price this week, losing a primary challenge to another Republican who was conveyed to victory on the wings of the former president's support. Donald Trump's record of political endorsements is still pretty hit and miss, but in several states he has succeeded in making sure that those who have turned against him are dispatched to the ash heap of Republican politics. President Biden faces his own heretics, and several of them were on display this week. It is time for our lightning round. Each candidate will answer our questions with a brief response, usually yes or no. Should President Biden run again in 2024? Now, obviously, the correct answer to that question posed this week to dueling New York Democrats in a TV debate is yes. Mr. Nadler. Too early to say it doesn't serve the purpose of the Democratic Party to to deal with that until after the midterms. Ms. Maloney. I don't believe he's running for re-election. Later in the week, after being lent on by the White House, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney there apologised, sending a public message to the president that she really does want him to seek four more years. If President Biden is going to persuade wavering Democrats to keep on backing him, it's going to take major acts of leadership. And this week, he was able to announce one major foreign policy achievement. My fellow Americans, on Saturday, at my direction, the United States successfully concluded an airstrike in Kabul, Afghanistan that killed the Emir of Al-Qaeda, Iman al-Zawiri. For more than two decades, the U.S. hunted Ayman al-Zawahiri. He was Osama bin Laden's right-hand man, an Egyptian physician who abandoned the Hippocratic Oath in favor of fundamentalist terrorism. The architect of the 9-11 attacks on America in 2001, he was located about 10 days ago in a safe house in the Afghan capital, Kabul. Two missiles fired from an American drone shredded him as he sat reading on a balcony last Saturday morning. Justice has been delivered, and this terrorist leader is no more. The United States continues to demonstrate our resolve and our capacity to defend the American people against those who seek to do us harm. No matter how long it takes, no matter where you hide, if you are a threat to our people, the United States will find you and take you out. 
The killing of al-Qaeda's leader came almost a year after America's botched military withdrawal from Afghanistan. It allowed the president to portray himself as a man of action, a far cry from 2011 when, as vice president, Joe Biden was the only voice in the Situation Room opposing the operation to kill Osama bin Laden. It also allowed the president to assert that he was correct last year in claiming that America's over-the-horizon military capabilities meant counter-terrorism operations in Afghanistan would continue without the presence of US troops on the ground there. The president's victory lap over the drone strike was somewhat overshadowed this week by the actions of the woman who is second in line to succeed him. Taiwan has been an island of resilience in the world. Indeed, the people of Taiwan have proven to the world that with hope, courage and determination, it is possible to build a peaceful and prosperous future. Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, making a visit to Taiwan opposed by the White House and enraging to the Chinese, who of course have pledged one day to bring the island back under mainland communist control. Tom Friedman of the New York Times, one of America's most respected foreign policy voices, branded the trip utterly reckless. He argued Mrs Pelosi was running the risk of sparking world War III by becoming the most senior U.S. government official to set foot in Taipei for a quarter of a century. Today, the world faces a choice between democracy and autocracy. America's determination to preserve democracy here in Taiwan and around the world remains ironclad. What exactly she meant by that is a matter of dispute. The Chinese, now engaged in live-fire military drills in the waters off Taiwan, suspect it means that the US is inching towards recognition of the island's independence. At the White House, National Security Spokesman John Kirby insisted that's not the case. The US, he says, still doesn't diplomatically recognise Taiwan and still adheres to a one-China policy. But this question from James Rosen of Newsmax TV did not secure a particularly convincing answer. When the Speaker of the House says we stand with Taiwan, how can the Chinese construe that as anything else but that you're supporting independence? I'll let the Speaker speak for herself. Um, nothing has changed about our adherence to the One China policy. Nothing has changed about uh, our stance on Taiwan independence, which is that we do not support Taiwan independence. I'm not going to speak for Speaker Pelosi. The Chinese are threatening further retaliation in the weeks ahead. Washington can only wait and wonder what that might entail and whether the Speaker's visit could end up making life much harder for the Taiwanese and therefore for the President, Nancy Pelosi's fellow Democrat in the White House. In Texas this week, there was a small measure of victory for the campaign to preserve truth in America over lies. It came in a lawsuit brought against Alex Jones, the conspiracy theorist on steroids whose InfoWars TV program was instrumental in creating Donald Trump's path to the presidency. Question 1A, $50,000. Question 2A, $1.5 million. 
Judge Maya Gamble reading the jury's verdict last night, awarding a total of $4.1 million to the families of the elementary school children killed in the Sandy Hook mass shooting of December 2012. Mr Jones has relentlessly claimed the shooting that took the lives of 20 children and six adults was a hoax and that the victims and their families were actors in a conspiracy to foist gun control on the country. His antics in court this week were utterly shameless, but his defeat was cemented by the revelation that his own lawyers had made a monumental mistake. Attorney Mark Bankston, representing the families, presented Mr Jones with copies of text messages about Sandy Hook that he claimed he had never sent. Do you know where I got this? No. Twelve days ago. Your attorney's messed up and sent me an entire digital copy of your entire cell phone with every text message you've sent for the past two years. And that is how I know you lied to me when you said you didn't have text messages about Sandy Hook. Did you know that? I See, I told you the truth. This is your Perry Mason moment. I gave them my phone. and then... Mr. Jones, you need to answer the question. No, I, Do you know I... this happened? No, I don't know this happened. If you're wondering how he's going to pay the $4.1 million judgment, well, sensing it was coming, he sought bankruptcy protection for his lamentable business empire and also urged his conspiracy theory followers to dig deep to help him out. The cavalry's here. So many of our best-selling products have been sold out. They've all come back in the last few weeks, and it's bringing in funding that was absolutely essential at this point. Vitamin Mineral Fusion, back in stock. All three of our toothpaste, back in stock. Super Blue, finally, back in stock, the original. Three toothpastes and the Super Glue, you say. To imagine people actually fall for this stuff. As we leave Mr Jones twisting in his own very public purgatory, let's end this week on a truly inspirational note. The actress Nichelle Nichols died on Saturday at the age of 89. You know her as Lieutenant Uhura from the original series of Star Trek. Breaking with TV tradition in the 1960s, the programme's creator, Gene Roddenberry, wanted to present audiences with a black character who was not consigned to the role of a servant, but instead had a position of professional responsibility alongside Captain Kirk, Mr Spock and all the others on the bridge of the USS Enterprise. It was a breakthrough and when Nichols decided to leave the programme at the end of the first season, she was talked out of it during a chance encounter with the Reverend Martin Luther King. He's smiling at me and he walks up to me and then he began to say... You have one of the most wonderful roles. You have the first non-stereotypical role in television. What we see is how we're supposed to be. For the first time, the world sees us as we are supposed to be seen, as qualified, beautiful, intelligent people, and you're not a menial. So she stayed for all three seasons of that original Star Trek series and she reprised the role in six of the Star Trek movies. For 35 years, she also worked with NASA, helping the space agency recruit a more diverse cast of real-life astronauts. For herself and for countless others, Eddie, she created an opportunity to live long and prosper. Simon Marks's American Week.
This is LBC. I'm Eddie Mayer.